0: from the Albright, a new podcast by the Scranton Public Library. Today we'll be covering how the Scranton Public Library was established and its initial reception by the general public. Before we get started, I would like to introduce myself and provide some context for this project. My name is Alyssa and I work in the reference department of the library. I received my master's degree from Simmons College in archives management, which is a branch of library and information science. One of the projects we discussed was a podcast that will highlight the history, interesting stories, and materials found in the Scranton Public Library. We thought a discussion of the history would be the best place to start. Our guest today is Elizabeth Davis, who's the head of digital services here at the Scranton Public Library. Hi! So let's begin. Um, What do you know about the first... Kind of establishment discussion of the public library in Scranton.
1: I know a little. I don't know a ton. I know that the library was founded um, as a gift and named in honor of John J Albright's family, and that the library exists on the land that the homestead was located. Mm-hmm. But I really don't know much about like how it was received or like the general population's like interest in it. So um, this will be really interesting to find out more.
0: Yeah. Um, So actually, even before the Scranton Public Library was thought of, um, there was mentions in the Scranton newspapers before that point. So in December of 1867, there was a push to have a public library. Um, And the article itself referred to a meeting of the Scranton Lyceum. And there was discussions on that topic. And then seven years later, the Addisonians Literary Society decided they wanted a library for the Hyde Park section of the city. And that kind of started a more of a push. Um, in the article itself, it states, could we not go humbly and advise Granton go and do likewise in preparing to establish a public library and even outstrip the Addisonians in preparing a public library for the whole city.
1: So they're, like, trying to outdo one another? Yeah. So, like, oh, we'll be cooler than them, and we'll, we'll get the library first. Yep. Oh, okay. So, like, a, a grunge match. Yeah, say. kind of.
0: <laughs> um, so then along comes 1890, and that is when Mr. Albright passed away and his family donated the land and property. Um, the actual dimensions of the piece of land are at the corner of Washington and Vine, about 110 feet in front and 167 feet deep, which was the homestead of Joseph J. Albright, and it was donated to by his children. And the only caveat was that it needs to be named the Albright Memorial Library. Hmm. So that's great. Yeah.
1: yeah, I would love to have something <laughs> named after me. So
0: yeah. <laughs> um, so the structure was initially proposed to cost between fifty and seventy-five thousand dollars. In what year? Uh, 1890. Do you want to guess what that is in today's money? Oh, God. I would say at least over a million. Yep. It's 1.5 to 2.2 million dollars. Wow. Okay. Yep. <laughs> um, so what do you know about the architecture?
1: Oh, so I know it's modeled after um, a French chateau. I-, I saw photos on the internet. And I, I'm like, oh, wait, that looks so familiar, like certain elements, mm-hmm. like um, the roof and like the, the eaves and things like that, yeah. but um, that, that is about it. So, okay. Oh, wait, I know it's also made out of limestone, yes. which you can see a big chunk of missing in West Mountain from limestone. <laughs> so, <laughs> yep. so it was designed by Green and Wicks after
0: the Musée de Cluny, which is located in Paris, it kind of is near the University of Paris, when I was looking it up on Google Maps. Um, and the building itself was the library building, rather, was designed by Conrad Schroeder, who constructed it. And the designs for it were displayed in drugstore windows.
1: Really? So you yeah. could like walk up, get your toothpaste, and check out what the is going to look like? Pretty much, yeah. That's so cool. I wish they still did that. Well, I guess they do, but it's online. The, it's yeah. not as magical. <laughs>
0: It's not out and about, just in a window. Just,
1: hey, FYI.
0: So, um, I want to go into the history of the Musée de Cluny because Mm -hmm. it's old. Yes. Um, And so it was built in 1334, and it's on top of ancient Roman baths. So the land Mm -hmm. it's on is old, old, ancient. Like, could it sink? No, because they've restored them. Oh, okay. I mean, technically, Paris... Can always sink because of the catacombs underneath, and there's always a threat of it. So I believe they have to do one of those systems where um, you can only drive cars with like certain license plate numbers, certain days, because of the weight, because there's a threat that it might collapse.
1: Wow, I had no idea. Yep, that's really cool. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so it's on top of Roman baths. Yes.
0: Okay. Um, it was originally used as a house of the abbots of Cluny when they stayed in Paris for government business um, in the 1740s. Joseph Nicolai de uh, created an observatory there, so he was an astronomer, and then Charles Messier, where we get Messier objects, which are comets, nebulae, galaxies, star clusters. Um, he got his start there, and that's where he studied everything.
1: Oh, that's so cool. Yep. I always hear these names <clears throat> that I never really know, like, like surrounding details about their lives. Yeah. I just know the one thing <laughs> they <I> did. Yep. <laughs>
0: And then, um, since it was a religious structure, during the French Revolution it was taken over because they abolished religion. It became a location for various functions and a physician that conducted research. And then eventually in 1832, um, when things kind of calmed down, not really, but somewhat, uh, the building was bought by Alexandre du Sommeron, who was an archaeologist and an art collector. And he used the building to display his collection of medieval and Renaissance objects. Hmm. And that collection today is why it is known as Musee National du Moyen Age, which is the National Museum of the Middle Ages. Ooh. So you can go
1: there and visit. Yeah. They have a website. You can visit and yeah. um, see all the stuff he collected. Yep. Cool. So
0: I thought that was fun because both buildings both our library and the Miss de have history housed within them. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of that intersection of all cultural institutions where everyone kind of just wants everyone to learn and be able to experience things from the past.
1: Yeah. I remember reading about John J. Albright and the... I think it was in like his letter to the city, and he said like this is for the betterment of all mm-hmm. all classes. I think it was is the exact wording. But it kind of again, that same idea that you know the library holds stories and the museum also holds stories and doesn't matter the format, it's just it's, the story that counts. Yeah. So that's really cool. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, so now we'll look at the design of the Scranton Public Library. Um, so obviously there are all the stained glass windows, mm-hmm. and I plan on covering those at a later time. Yeah, I think you can spend um, like a whole month looking at them all. Yeah, <laughs> there's so many. <laughs> and they're for very notable people like Catherine de Medici mm-hmm. and Henry III. So it's very much like there's a lot there. Mm-hmm. Um. So a lot of people up here in reference, we get a lot of questions asking if this was ever a church and no it just was always a library and all the stained glass represent book bindings. You can even see it on the carvings outside of Mm -hmm. the building. So the gate itself that surrounds the building was created by the Scranton Iron Pens Company and on the gates that open into the walkways to enter the building there are wreaths with AL in them Mm -hmm. for Albert Library. And then you're also greeted by the lions and then the owls above.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I feel like it took me so long when I first started here
1: to, like, realize that owls were there, too. I think it took me a while, too. I, like, because the lions are so prominent, you don't mm-hmm. really, you know, like, focus on them. But when you look up, I think there's other animals, too. And, like, I don't think yeah. I, I was looking <laughs> at a photo recently, and I was like, wait, that I didn't realize that there were, like, gargoyles and mm-hmm. other things. I was like, oh, I had no idea. And I've worked here for a while. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I wish that the lines had names. I think at one point we were going to try and do it, but no one could agree on a name. Yeah. Do the owls have names? Mm No. No, I don't think anything has a name. That could be something. That could be fun. Yeah. Yeah. You should put a comment in the the notes or, like, your idea of what we should name them. Yeah. (laughs) That could be fun.
0: Um, Do you want to guess how many books were in the original collection that was chosen by Henry Carr?
1: oh goodness Henry Carr was the first librarian
0: yes. anyway, Okay.
1: Um, I'm going to say 5,000 10,600
0: <laughs> way off <laughs> <laughs> um, it covered a wide range of reference, philosophy, theology social sciences, natural sciences useful and fine arts poetry, drama, essays, fiction biography, travels history and more and they all arrived in January of 1892, and they knew it would take a while to arrange all of them into a set order and a set flow. Um, so, how much do you think that the library and the collection of books and everything that went into it wound up costing?
1: Oh, in, in today's dollars? Or, oh, I guess it's either both. or. Either or. I have both here. Okay, so <laughs> 10,000 plus books. like a couple hundred thousand?
0: So it was 125,000 in
1: 1893.
0: Okay. And that is 3.6 million dollars today.
1: Again, I'm really bad at math, apparently. (laughs) It's so much. That is a lot, yeah. And we have more than 10,000 books now. Yeah.
0: So it's a very worthwhile investment, and Alfred Hand, who was a judge in Scranton and the chairman of the Board of Trustees, um, wrote a letter to the editor for the Scranton Republican in 1890, and he stated that it is essential for every resident of our city to keep in mind that he is to be an owner and co-partner in the new library building and its contents. Because the boy or girl that steals his way into a free library and learns not simply to read, but how to read under an intelligent and helpful librarian is on the way to the White House or something better. And that all persons will be welcome to the library, but those who give something will feel freer to enjoy it and appreciate it more. They just really needed to raise money to pay for everything. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds
1: like it. But now we don't have, you don't, you have like the dedicated tax. So. Yes. Yeah, and I think that's going to be
0: a later episode as well, that everything.
1: Oh, yeah, I think that'll explain a lot of things, too. How the library is funded is very, very complicated.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay, and then on May 25th of 1893, the library was set to open. And it was actually two months earlier than originally planned.
1: Oh, that never happens. I know. <laughs> it's always months later. It was or very weeks later. That happened. We were very efficient here in Scranton. Yeah.
0: And so the Scranton Times list of who was invited, um, because it started with an exclusive invite only reception that was reserved for members of city council, officers, donors, contributors, and the press. Um, So, the who's who of the area at the time was the Albrights, Judge Archibald and his wife, Mr. and Mrs. William Connell, the Samters, Walter Dixon, former Mayor McCune, the Albright children, and more. Oh,
1: Samters. So, the Samters building. Yeah. Oh, okay. Them. Okay, cool. I didn't Um, didn't know the mayors at the time, so that was the lady that stuck out.
0: Yeah. Mayor Connell was the mayor at the time. And then Archibald, Judge Archibald is Archibald in Walter Dixon, Dixon City.
1: No way. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Oh, wow. I had no idea. Oh. (laughs) They were really, who's who? Mm Mm-hmm. Cool.
0: So the next day on May 26th, the library opened to the general public and Henry Carr was the first librarian. Do we know
1: anything about him? Did, was he, like, a resident of Scranton, or did he move here? So I'm going to
0: cover him in, I believe it is the next episode, but basically he was from Connecticut and then worked to help establish libraries in the St. Louis area and mm-hmm. then was brought in to here.
1: Oh, okay. So um, they recruited him.
0: Yes. And then he was president for ALA for a year and was the treasurer of ALA for a time. Oh, wow. And his wife was very into libraries as well. Um, so I kind of need to do a whole episode on oh, yeah. each of them.
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. I, 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 believe, think,
0: yeah. Yeah, I believe Edith was called, like, the first grandmother of ALA or something along those lines.
1: Okay. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. So the American Library Association, yes. we had our own representation from the area, in a way, yes. roundaboutly. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool.
0: Okay, and then... Um, Do you want to guess how many people signed up for library cards
1: within two weeks? Okay, so I've been really bad at this, so hopefully I'm not (laughs) too bad at this one. Um, I'm going to say 1,000 people. 1,500. Oh, so close. close. So
0: close. Okay. Um, And it continued to grow steadily, according to the Scranton Republican, on June 15th of 1893. Um, Between 200 and 350 books were being checked out daily. Wow. And (laughs) it was pretty much the same setup that we have today. So there was a circulating collection where people could take out books, take them home. And then the reference upstairs was in-house use only.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So the same structure has kind of just continued through the years. Yeah. Of course, we have much more to offer now with the DVDs and the board games and audiobooks and everything else that can mm-hmm. be checked out downstairs. But it's interesting that the setup kind of stayed the same
1: yeah the desk i know has moved mm-hmm. over time but i think it's now in the original spot it was originally think, right? like where it is now
0: yeah i think it's very close yeah so very cool. yeah because there used to be doors and then like a children's section mm-hmm. and then up here the center of the reference room had its big open area in the center. That I can imagine. Like walkways around.
1: Like, how many things got thrown off that balcony? (laughs) (laughs) Like, just (laughs) paper airplanes, pencils. I don't know. Yeah. There's photos of it. I can pull
0: them them. up and post them, too.
1: Yeah. I think people would enjoy seeing those. Yes.
0: Um, And then at the end of the article that gave the update on the Scranton Republican, Um, It kind of expressed the core of librarianship in, like, a little paragraph. Okay. Um, And it went, it stated, it is hoped that, or it is hoped by the library management that those resorting to it for either study or recreation will not hesitate to call upon both the librarian and his assistants for aid or information in any case of doubt or lack of familiarity with the resources of the library. Also to freely recommend for purchase any works which are known and desirable, but do not yet seem to be in possession of the library. So basically what that summarizes is we're here to help, and don't be afraid to ask for anything that we don't have, because we'll try to get it.
1: Yeah, that's really cool. Mm -hmm.
0: So that's kind of the end of the episode for today. Um,
1: I hope you enjoyed it. Do you have anything... Oh, no, I learned so much. I don't think I knew all of these details. And we all discovered my poor mascot. <laughs> so, I don't know. It's been fun. I yeah. think it'll be, it'll be fun to hear what other people have to say about I it. I hope so. <laughs> yeah, so share your
0: comments. Yes, please do. Yes, let us know. Um, if you have any comments, suggestions, anything at all, um, feel free to contact me at aloni at um, that is A-L-O-N-E-Y at albright.org. Um, or leave a comment on any of our social media posts or message us through Facebook or on Instagram. Anyway. even call us. Yeah, <laughs> you can call as well. <laughs> and the number for the library in general is 570-348-3000. Um, so next week we'll be covering the grounds of the Albright Memorial Building. And then it's in the third week that I will go over briefly the staff um, and then the establishment of the branches and starting to get into that. Um, So see you next time.
1: Thank you.